Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast, where we're having ongoing digital discipleship conversations about when and where the kingdom and the culture collide. All right, so I am super, super <laughs> excited after a whole bunch of uh, technical difficulties. We, got it. we could blame the devil. Uh, <laughs> but uh, after a whole bunch of uh, difficulties, we were able to connect uh, this system so that we could record this podcast. So today I'm here in Recife, Brazil, with Nick and Rachel Billman. And you may have heard Voice of the Prophets and Voice of the Apostles. We're, this is the voice of pain today. Voice of pain. <laughs> it's a hard knock life for us. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to talk about just a wholehearted yes to Jesus, what that has meant for them. We want to learn a little bit from their journey here, what's, what's going on with them, what they're doing. But first is a little history. So Nick and I go way back to... Uh, probably like 2008, yeah. Yeah. and I was so poor. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> well, I, I was oh, I was so poor. Uh, I felt rich, but I was so poor that I go to buy Nick's CD, and my card gets declined. And Nick gives me the CD for free. I'm like 99.9 percent sure. We better have given you. Yeah, I'm CD. pretty sure you did. And then here's here's the real move of faith. So I invite Nick, we become friends, I invite Nick to come down to New Jersey. And he decides to come down to New Jersey to do an event for a guy whose card was declined <laughs> at his book table. So we're like, there's the gift of faith operating in the That's life. That's covenant right there. Faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. That is covenant. That is tremendous, yeah. So that was that was that showed me their heart and um, that exposed my pain. So it was just a tremendous thing. And so we, we, we did some meetings and... My wife had the, the privilege of being with them on, I think, two or three of their CDs. Yes. My all-time favorite, the least of these. Um, and so we got to kind of see their yes and what that meant in that season. And so we, we would take my son Justice, his first mission trip was actually to Brazil, to your original base. Yeah. So we, we do go back a long time. We, we took kind of a break, uh, not because of drama, just because of busy and, you know, the Lord really put it on my heart to actually start going back to Brazil and to reconnect with some of my friends for the purposes of the kingdom. We kind of had our heads down in the sand for, you know, five, six years planning a church and doing that. And so we really love, honor, and respect you guys. We're super um, happy uh, just to see what you guys are doing, what, what God is doing, the joy, um, a lot of victory, a lot of, a lot of breakthrough, a lot of... A lot of growth, frankly. Yes. Growth that, you know, all you have to do is open your eyes and see it. Right. You don't got to pray to see it. It's here. Yeah. And so could you just tell us, like, what was what was it like in the early stages of you have a sense where you know you're called to Brazil, yeah. you're doing ministry in the state. Can you kind of share the early stages of that with people? Yeah. Well, when we came um, to Brazil the first time, actually, it was me that came because Rachel was back home with our kids. Our three kids at the time. Yeah. And I came on a trip with Randy Clark. And, you know, we're ministering these big churches. And it's like healing and revival. Um, it was amazing. But I, every night, saw going to the church on the bus, all these kids on the streets, all these women on the corners prostituting. And one night I was going to a church, and I asked the Lord, you know, what do you want me to minister to this church? And he said, I want you to tell them that if they don't love the prostitutes, I won't honor their ministry in this city. And honestly, bro, I was like, are you sure? Because, like, usually when you're the guest speaker, it's cool to be, like, the cool guy and, like, <laughs> drop some joy bombs and stuff. But right then I looked out the window, and we were passing a prostitution district, and I saw all of those women with my daughter's face on them. And Layla was four at the time. And the Lord said, these are my girls. They don't even know it yet. Who's going to tell them? And I was like, Lord, I'll give my life to this. And Rachel was back home and had a similar experience. So that was 2008. When we moved in 2010, that's what we started with. We just went to the streets and didn't have a base. We didn't even have a house yet. We didn't have the language. Yeah. Yeah. And just had a couple faithful Brazilians that felt the call to serve us and help us. And we'd go minister to these women, you know, prophetic words, praying for them. 
And everything that you see today that Shores does came from those first encounters, right. everything. It right. was like God in the encounter with these women, their words, their story. God was like, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. This is how you're going to build it. This is how you're going to you know, solve these problems, not just in taking women off the streets, but preventing them from ever going. Right. And also not just taking them out of prostitution, but helping them have a life of dignity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the beginning was just cold turkey street ministry. I mean, we went every single night to the streets. Then we'd go to the, the like you and I are going to go tonight, to the little parks in the city where there's homeless children and would just love on those kids. And with the limited language we had, we'd do worship, right. play games with the kids, build relationships with them. Listen to their stories. And that too, it's like, you know, when you look at street ministry, a lot of times it's like the problem's obvious, right? Here's, here's women in prostitution, here's kids on the streets. But if we went tonight and took every girl off the streets of Hasifi in prostitution, mm-hmm. there'd be more tomorrow yes. because there's a root issue that is the problem of machismo and, you know, uh, men that are looking for these women. So if we don't actually treat the roots, it's never going to actually end yeah. the rescue part. Right. Right. And Jesus' message and ministry was not only one of rescue, but one of redemption. So the rescue is a part of the redemptive story. So everything we do today came from those encounters. And we mm-hmm. learned lang- learned the language on the streets, never did classes. No. Um, so we learned like every curse word in Portuguese on the streets. Everything you shouldn't yeah. learn, we learned first. Yeah. Later we'd you know, go and be like, hey, what does this word mean? And our business would be like, no, don't, don't, don't say, say that. that. Don't, don't say that. that. Like, oh, okay. We went were... from there to ministering in churches yeah. and kind of learned from pastors' responses, yeah, this was not the good things to learn. Like, like everybody on the streets, you know, we were always with transvestites and they'd call each other Bisha. And I thought it was like, hey man, like, what's up? You know, so I go to this church and I'm like, hey Bisha. And the pastor's like, what? <laughs> Wait, what does that mean? He's like, it's like a gay slang. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, I hope that wasn't prophetic, Pastor. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't forget. You don't forget those lessons for sure. Yeah. But it's really amazing, Adam, because we look at today. Like we walk in here at the base or at Bethany, where you were the other day, and like every day we walk in just undone by what God's done. Because it's like we just yeah. said yes to that. We had no plan, no money, right? No team, and today. Like, just seeing what God has done from that yes. Like, you preached it the other night to our staff, but, like, your yes is only multiplied in the hands of Jesus. Like, if I keep it for myself, waiting for that provision, waiting for that next thing, then we never actually see that multiplication. You know, like, if that little boy had not said, I have five loaves and fishes here, it wouldn't have happened, you know. So we're just undone by his his goodness through all of it. Right. That was 13 years ago that it all began. Right. Yeah. One, one of our things is like having joy in the journey, like yep. being able to walk out and live people's pain with them without it coming on you. And uh, that's very important. Yes, it is. Can you can you can you talk about that a little bit? How did you learn how to navigate that? By doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Welcome back to the Voice of Pain. (laughs) We're here live. Yeah. (laughs) No, but like when we first started out in missions, we started out a lot like new missionaries do. Of like, we're just gonna go to the streets. We're gonna see, you know, all of Brazil get saved. Revival's gonna break out and revolution. Revolution. And when we weren't seeing that, there was like an extreme frustration in that. But also, you're hearing traumatic stories. Of I'm assuming because people are listening to your podcast. Yeah. We can just be. Yeah, you can say whatever you want here. Okay. Um, like horrible stories of rape and gang rape and you know the physical things that how they've had to overcome that stuff and me being a mom of four now and stuff like that does affect you like anyone in ministry should yeah anyone in ministry that lives hearing broken stories it should affect you because you need to have a way to connect with people but you need to not stay in that place you need to be able to take it to Jesus because the biggest thing that we had to learn, you know, Nick and I definitely have a savior's complex for sure, but learning that we are not the ones that save, that it's only Jesus that saves. Yep. Um, we, had, we had a girl, um, not so recently, I keep saying recently, but she came to us um, and she was gang raped um, by uh, 12 guys and was shot at 
12 times. Six bullets hit her. One in the head, one in the neck. One in the spine. One in the spine, right through her stomach, right through her organs, um, various other places on the body. And um, we got a call from, um, from the children's court saying, would you be willing to, you know, to receive this girl? Um, she's paraplegic. She was paraplegic from her injuries was going into surgery and so obviously Nick and I were like yeah yeah like we'll we'll find her a place like our the house at the time was not able to receive like wheelchair yeah you know we yeah. weren't accessible yeah. we weren't wheelchair accessible yeah. at the time yeah. but we were like we'll carry her we'll do whatever we need to do wow while she was in surgery um they found out that she was pregnant oh my so you picture where the bullets went through they said centimeters away from where the baby was and and she lived she lived that's the first thing she lived um and came to us and you know you talk about the physical things that she had to overcome like she couldn't talk she couldn't talk she like wasn't able to verbalize anything she wasn't able to feed herself she wasn't able to clothe herself or bathe herself and she's getting this news that also she's pregnant from this gang rape. So when you talk about like dealing with high traumatic situations and for us that work in trauma every day and hearing their stories, it's, it would be easy to let that just come on you and feel Drown like, you. Yeah, like where is Jesus in this? Like where, where was he? Why didn't he, you know, come to her aid? Why didn't he? But looking at it now, you can see where he did. Yeah, I mean, she survived. With you. Yeah, she survived and with you. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, our team, we have, like, an amazing team of physical therapists and um, speech therapists that work with her. Her biggest thing was, like, she could have gotten bitter, but she didn't. She saw, like, this baby as, like, a promise of new life in her. Wow. And started slowly getting her speech back and her biggest thing was she wanted to be able to be able to raise her arms up so that she could nurse her baby on her own and so our physical therapist would work with her every day may i ask you how old was she she 17. was 17 17 yeah and it was an execution so she had something had gone wrong with this gang and they wanted to execute her they thought they had they left her in the public square and yeah. she survived they found her on a bench outside yeah so she um, had her baby, held her baby. Mm -hmm. Today she walks, not you know perfectly, but she's taking steps. Yeah. Loves the Lord. Jesus. She came to know Jesus through the whole process because she had never experienced real, real unconditional love. Yeah, and I think, man, it's like there's a balance in that. Like Rachel said, not carrying that pain yourself, but you also can't become desensitized to it. Right. And like where we are right now, we currently have between our rescue home and our defense center, 220 cases, the vast majority of them sexual abuse. And that can overcome you. I mean, there's a lot of nights, especially early on, when I would come home from working on stuff or on the streets, and I would just walk into our girls' room and they'd be sleeping safe and sound, and I would just weep at their door, because it's like, yeah, thank you, Jesus, that my girls are safe. But yeah, like all these other ones that are not. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you can't, like I always say, my heart is always in pieces, but those pieces are in God's hands. Like, I can't let it consume me. Right. But I also can't be like, yeah, we've heard a case like that. Like, yeah, we deal yeah. with that stuff. Like, yeah. you have to walk in that sensitivity. And a lot of what we see in the Psalms where David is kind of like, God, like, I'm anointed king, but I'm abandoned. Like, what's going on here? You right. know, like, right. I think that's why he's a man after God's own heart, because it's like, he could be real and be like, this is horrible. Right. Like, this is painful. Yeah. But I trust you. You know, and yeah. so... For us and our team, it's like, and one of our biggest things now with a team of over 100 people is how do we help pastor them in that and keep them in that place of like, don't become desensitized, but don't put on your superhero cape. Right. Yeah. You, you won't be the answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really important too, to learn how to really grieve and lament yeah. in a healthy way. Yeah. 59 of the Psalms, 59 out of 150 are Psalms of lament. Yeah. Right. And... You know, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So it's like that keeps you sensitive without being desensitized. Yeah. And, and it's really important, too, that like when we're ministering to people that we're able to show up in their pain 
mourn with those who are mourning and still rejoice with those who are rejoicing yeah. exactly. and then also remain full of hope because to be honest these people coming in off these situations they need like a full IV of hope yeah. for like years right. because hope you know hope it affects how you see the future yeah. yep. the and hope the yeah hope deferred makes the heart sick so the heart can't function correctly without hope it can't process pain without hope it can't see the future without hope yeah. and then also hope gives you uh, is the anchor to your soul gives you emotional stability, yeah. which you really need because you're dealing with unstable situations and unstable oh, yeah. people. Yeah. So you have to be sensitive but really immovable right. to really effectively help these people move forward. Yeah. So it's, it's really, really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's really shocking to me is that um, many situations like this, that was a very, very extreme one. Yeah. Maybe for, for here, I don't know. Even, even for here, that even seems pretty extreme yeah. but we're dealing with in the states not quite that extreme but a level of extreme that i haven't heard in all the years that we've been doing what we're doing right. of a pretty pretty really bizarre yeah. uh things especially as it relates to sexual stuff and then violence yeah. yes um what people don't understand is that perversion ends in violence Oh, and yeah. perversion, if you feed that monster, it grows. Yeah. And so, you know, anyway. Yes. So now you're, you're ministering in the, in the context of basically ultra-traumatic stuff all the time. Right. That becomes normal to you. And you have to really guard yourself because it's draining. Yes. Yeah, it is. And, and keeping yourself in that place so that you are ready to give an answer for the hope that you possess. Yep. Because all of us, all around the world... Are gonna be encountered with yeah. these kinds of complex situations like you're talking about, yes. and and you need to be able to come from that place of, of hope, of seeing through the eyes of Jesus in that in that specific situation. Mm -hmm. So also too, I would imagine like this is kind of like PG thirteen, but like as a as a married couple, you have to really protect your home environment and your family but also like when you hear all of these stories of sexual brokenness it's not like yeah this let's go have sex babe like yeah. it's yeah. kind of like it can really it like these type of what i've what i've learned in, in our ministry you know even like let's, let's just be honest like let's say it's you know late at night you're getting ready to have some personal time with your wife you get right. like a highly traumatic phone call it's like nine thirty. Yeah. The last thing you're thinking about is, yeah, let's have sex now. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, I know that's yeah. It affects, but your I mean, it it, yeah. it it can, and and I think that I'm not saying it hasn't, but I think that that's something that we have to be on guard with because it's like the the world will always have pain and brokenness in it until Jesus comes. Yeah. Right. And and so our our job obviously is to minister to that, call people out of that, bring healing to that. Um, but it, it's really something that I find that we really have to, as people who are caring for people, mm -hmm. like there has to be this sense of like, like I have, like I'll use this example. When me and my wife were paying off debt, um, what I did was I felt the Lord give me a strategy. And what I did was I opened an Excel spreadsheet, put the card, put the debt, put the number. And I said, Lord, I take responsibility for this debt. I have debt. Debt doesn't have me, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna move with maturity and wisdom, but this doesn't have me, and and I think that emotionally that's something that we have to do also with many of the situations. Like I care, I'll cry, I'll weep, but I also have to have a space where, like that is shut off. I know yes. that sounds heartless, no, but but I mean, um, yeah. like I I have now put my phone in airplane mode, yeah. and I am not receiving transmissions at this very moment, yeah. right? so that I can attend to what I'm responsible for. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the same is true with emotional debt. Same you would handle financial debt. Yep. Right? Like, we all have emotional debt and baggage. Um, and in our case, it is every single day, like more of that same stuff. Yep. And so part of it is that understanding, like, uh, to what point am I responsible? I'm responsible for being a messenger of hope, bringing the gospel, the good news, bringing healing. But who actually does the healing is God, and it involves the participation of the people. Yep. So I think one of the hardest things for us to learn, and you know, maybe people listening to this that want to work in this type of area, you, you think everybody that's in sexual brokenness or 
prostitution or trafficking or an abusive relationship wants to be free. But actually, that's not always true. Maybe yeah. in their deepest part of their inner being, they want freedom. Right. But what I mean is when, when we first came, we're like, of course they all want to be free. So you'd be like, hey, we'll get you out. Do you want to go? And sometimes they'd even be like, yeah. And then like a day later, like, oh, but I'm going back. Or they'd just straight up be like, no, I don't want out. Like, this is my life, you know? So understanding we are not the rescuer. There's only one rescuer. Yeah, like Jesus. We, we yep. can labor with him, yeah. but he yeah. has to be the one, and they have to say yes to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I learned, which was very, very helpful for me, the Lord really spoke this to me, which was very freeing for me. As a pastor, I am not responsible for people who do not respond to me. Yeah. Come on. That's good. So it's the same thing with evangelism, with discipleship. You, I, I definitely love you. But you do not have permission to waste my time. Yeah. Right. Um, and so if you're if you're serious and you want help, then we'll we'll you know we'll do whatever we can. But if you want to play games and if you're not committed to the process, I can't make that happen. And so I think that that's something that that's also really a painful part of the ministry where you love people, you're invested in time and prayer, and obviously emotionally you really want to see them change but you're more hungry for them to get healthy yep. right. than they are right. and that just won't work no. right um, in our first year here in Hasifi we took probably 11 or 12 women off the streets out of prostitution and we rented them homes we gave them jobs and within a year more than half of them had gone back to it and I was frustrated I'm like Lord I mean we're doing everything you told us to do and he said, Nick, you're being their savior and you are taking their steps for them and that's not gonna work. Right. So we switched it up to where now, like we start with a relationship on the streets and then when the woman says, I want out of this life, we'll say something like, have you ever worked? Like, do you have any job experience? Not really, do you have a resume? No, we'll tell you what, Monday come to the base and we're gonna do a resume together. So if she comes Monday and does a resume with us, even if it's the simplest resume, right. it shows she's willing to take this step. That she's serious about it. Then we'll say, do you have your working papers? No, well, we can go with you to do that together. Then she goes to that. So the, all these little steps and what happens, bro, is like she then looks back in the future and says, I did that. I did all of these steps to get free. Yeah. Because the poverty mentality robs you not of what you don't have, but what you have. So they'll think I have nothing to offer. I can't. I can't leave this because I can never do anything beyond this. So we help. Wow. To see. Can you say that again about the poverty mentality? Yeah, because the poverty mentality doesn't rob you of what you don't have. It robs you of what you have because you're always thinking about what you don't have. Right. So you never learn to value what you have. That's good. So like with the, the bang. It's like, well, I've only ever done this. I started prostituting when I was 15. I have no experience. Okay, but what do, what do you have? What do you know? Yeah. And maybe what course can we help you do? Yeah. So all those things. and Not to sound graphic, but you, you, you know service. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah in that sense. Yeah. Uh -huh. You can do that in you know, a more healthy way, yeah. but you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, if the girl, for example, the woman says, um, yeah, I'll be there and doesn't show. It's not like we give up on her, but we wait for her to take steps. Right. Now, most of those women that have left, like the vast majority, I don't have percentages, but yep. most of them are out still because they took steps to their own freedom. Mm -hmm. yep. It wasn't, you know, you gave me a job, you gave me a house. It right. was, I did that. And it was gradually them leaving the streets because essentially we're asking something of them that we would never want anyone to ask of us of like, leave, get, your, leave your complete income yep. and trust these random people that you just met on the street. Like, yep. No, nobody would do that. Yep. So we, we're understanding in that long process of like, okay, they had been prostituting seven days a week. Now they're doing five. Okay, so something is changing there and helping build in those, those other places. It's wild. And we say the greatest tool, you know, when people ask, what's the greatest tool for evangelism? I think a lot of times, you know, in more charismatic cycles, they're thinking prophetic words and stuff. And we say the greatest tool in evangelism is consistency being constant with these people right because if you're just looking for popcorn testimonies that you want to slap up on your instagram we're you, not your place yeah we're not your place <laughs> you might even get those and you might get views and welcome back to like, the voice of pain yeah <laughs> we're still here. still here but like one i'll tell you like this brief testimony our our number one intercessor today for rachel and i personally was a woman that we met 
12 years ago on the streets and she was in prostitution and for five years we went and ministered to this woman five years and she never really opened up i mean she at first she'd not even talked to us for like a year wow and then after five years Mm -hmm. we had kind of built some of a relationship but not too deep and then one day she's just gone and nobody knew where she was she changed her number six months we didn't hear anything from her it's a common thing for us to see that because a lot of times you just never see never see them again they have moved on to somewhere else so they're dead Mm -hmm. you know so jesus after six months she gets on facebook and messages me and asks if we can come and so we go to her house and she says look for five years you came every single friday with your team and i thought you were so annoying and i was like thank you thanks so much for bringing me out here for this (laughs) encouraging message yeah She's like, no, but let me explain. Like, you guys said things that weren't true about me. You said, like, you're a princess, you're loved by God, God has a future for you. None of that was true. Like, I'm there selling my body to these men. I was living in hell, and you guys are just saying nice things. It's like, so one day I'm sick, but I still go to the streets. I do a trick in the hotel room. The guy leaves, and I'm there throwing up in the hotel room, and I just decide I want to end it. Like, I'm sick of this, can't live anymore. So I went back to my apartment. And I decided that I was going to kill myself. And she's like, I'm sitting there on the bed thinking how I was going to do it. And then I thought, where is Nick and his team now? Where are they now? All these beautiful words and these nice things. None of it was true because here I am. I just want to die. And she said, I heard a voice say, what if they were true? Mm -hmm. And I started to think about every prayer, every word, every prophetic art you guys gave me, every banquet you invited me to. And she said, Nick, by 3 a.m. I believed every word of it. I called my mom and said, I'm not a prostitute anymore. Can Coming I come home. home. Jesus. Now she's, you know, this amazing woman. Literally Whoa. every day sends us prayer messages. Yeah. You know, has served in the ministry, has gone back to the streets with us. Went back to her corner and spoke to a girl. It was her first night out on the street. Whoa. And, like, grabbed her by the face, like, put her hands on, on the girl's face and said, this is not for you. This is not for you. This is not God's plan for your life. Wow. Yeah, now, now it's like she's, you know, she's more Christian than I am. You know, it's like... <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really, yeah, yeah. Because she, she wants it. to run from that whole thing. She gets out of here. But the point with that is, is it's consistency. Because had we given up because we weren't seeing results, or yeah. had she, you know, had we been like, you know what, she don't want to talk to us. But every week we'd be there. Like, hey, do you want to talk tonight? No. Okay, no problem. Five years of consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, Jesus discipled his guys for three years, and they still didn't really believe until they saw him ascend into heaven. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. And they didn't. They really didn't get it. Yeah. Like they're going. He's getting ready to ascend after a forty-day resurrection conference on the kingdom of God. And they're still. And like, they go, "When are you gonna? When are you gonna MAGA Israel? Right. <laughs> when are you gonna make Israel great again?" And Jesus yeah. is like. She's like, (laughs) (laughs) and and, and, oh, by the way, these are the best guys. Right. Yeah. And then he sends the spirit. Yeah. And Peter's still like, the Gentiles are sure about this. Yeah. He starts his his missionary ministry. We don't eat with you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, guys. Sit over there. Three minutes later, God is not a respecter of persons. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, did you take your medicine today? You know, it's that type of thing. But that's consistency. I think that. A lot of our modes of evangelism today, because the thing is you can't separate evangelism from discipleship. You can't. Beautiful. And a lot of our evangelism today is independent of discipleship and oftentimes independent of the church. Yep. So we go and... And like, a lot of times the discipleship is, a, is independent of evangelism. Yeah. And, it's, and it's like more like Christian education. Life coaching. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Than discipleship. Yes. yes. If, the, if, if it doesn't involve discipline, it's not discipleship. No. Right. Yeah. If you don't love discipline and you're not willing to receive correction, you're not, being you're not willing to be discipled. That's right. You can't yeah. take, take the discipline out of discipleship. You can't. And you can't you can't devoid evangelism of a progression into discipleship. Because honestly, there's enmeshing there. Like a lot of times we're kind of discipling people before they're even saved. We're evangelizing them, but we're already giving them like the keys to life in Christ. Yeah. To where then they kind of come to a point where they're like, I'm kind of doing that. And you're like, yeah, so do you want to actually like go all in on Jesus? Yeah, I do. Oh, great. You know, so, so that, that requires consistency. 
and mm-hmm. discipline and patience on our part. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. But like today with social media and stuff, everybody wants like, oh, I went here, I prayed for this guy and like 10,000 people got saved. Like, I love that stuff. Yeah. I'm not against it. Yeah. But I'm the guy that's like, and then, then what? It's like, what happened after that? Mm-hmm. Like, did, did those people, and I'm not saying if you're like on the bus, you shouldn't give a word to somebody. But I'm saying our church structures of evangelism and discipleship should have much more consistency to where there's a progression of seeing growth in that person, healing and growth, so that they actually become a Christian, right. a follower of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and in our world, that's like, it's a slow burn, man. Like, that's how it works. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we, we noticed that in our community because we, we had an extremely difficult five, six years where it was like, I hated the church. Yeah. One of my buddies, I think he liked the church better than I did. He was excited about the church. I would, I would just be like, man, this is, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> like, I, I did not lay down the last 10 years of my life for this. I need to see something more than this. But then the Lord really spoke to me on something really simple. And he said, I want you after church to knock on doors, deliver groceries, pray for the sick, and minister to wow. people. Right? So we've been doing that for a couple of years now. There's a, there's a young couple in our church that they go to Alliance, they go to a, a, a theological uh, seminary, really sharp uh, young people, beautiful, pure hearts, smart, intelligent. They went to Queens during Ramadan, hmm. and they were in the city, and they were asking people for prayer. And Deborah, the wife uh, of, of my friend Isaac, he, she, she hits me up and she says, we, we, we went to pray for people and like out of 25 people, virtually no one received prayer. Mm-hmm. I go, I, she goes, what's happening in West New York is not natural. Because mm-hmm. almost no one will, will yeah. deny. So I said, you know, God is really moving, even though it, it, it may not feel like a tidal wave of yes. mass people. Yes. The climate and the environment is changing because of just consistency. That's it. Just showing love. And then people will come out in the streets and look for us. Yeah. And, and you know, when I say, like, when I'm talking about a small operation, I'm talking about, like, two, three families a week. Yeah. Right. I'm not talking about this mass, like, yeah. but but people are looking and aware. And, and I just want to say to those who've, of you who are, like, learning to walk with the Lord and, and learning to be consistent, that consistency is one of the commonalities of people who are successful at anything. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyone who's a yeah. champion, anyone who's successful, that consistency, you can't you can't remove that from any equation yeah. right. and think you're going to have success at anything. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, um, think about this way. Like, we like to psych people up, especially in, like, mission schools and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and we're like, you're going to change the world. You're going to light the world on fire. You're going to be revolutionary. <laughs> this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Okay. I'm going to give you some seeds. Some of those seeds are going to fall on the rocks. Nothing's going to happen. Some are going to fall among the thorns. The thorns are going to choke them out. Others, though, birds are going to come and eat those. But some, they're going to sprout forth. Right. This was Jesus' motivational message to the disciples, aside from saying, oh, the world's going to hate you, right. and you're going to be rejected. Um, in other words, we want to fill stadiums. God wants to fill your hands with seeds of obedience. He wants you to be obedient in the word that he's given you. And like... There's nothing wrong with stadiums. I was saved at a Billy Graham crusade in 92 in Philadelphia. But what I'm saying is, is if you're already looking to the mass movement, you're missing the seeds that God's already placed in your hands. Right. And obedience and consistency are the keys to sowing the seeds that God's given you in your life, you know? Yeah. And for us, it's like our people here, our reality, stadium stuff does not, does not work for them. You have to go to where they are and be patient and be willing to like sow the seed and like watch God water it. And like we are just now in 13 years, we're getting testimonies from 13 years ago that right. we thought, dude, were failures. You know, where you're like, we did everything for that woman. Yeah. Nothing came of it. And then I told you the other day, but the first woman we ever took off the streets out of prostitution, just two months ago, messaged us, how can I be a financial partner for the ministry? Wow. Because her life's totally changed. And wow. she's like, those seeds you planted in my heart mm-hmm. never went away. God watered them. Now I'm in the church. I love Jesus, and I want to invest to see other people set free. But for years, we were like, we dropped the ball, man. Like, it didn't work. We tried everything with her. Right. But it did. So it's like, 
again, trusting that the seeds are God's to begin with and they're his to care for. My job is to be a sower of those seeds of the gospel, of the message, the word of God. Right. And be okay with not seeing the results we want to see. Right. And yep. learning how to celebrate every little tiny victory. That's important. So, I think it's like, sorry, go ahead. Um, when, you know, like you were talking about the neighborhood and, you know, beginning to do those kinds of things of like going and deliver groceries and um, those, that connection that you have with those people that's that that just spreads mm -hmm. and that begins to grow into something bigger um but learning how to be a, you know okay with like a girl that hasn't talked to me that's maybe in prostitution or whatever today she she smiled when she saw me okay so jesus is doing something that really helps maintain your walk and your hope in the lord as you're walking out this long journey yeah 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 you know, so celebrating the the big the littler yeah, wins keeps you in the in the game. Oh, it does. Yeah. You know, when you um when you base your um your theology, your faith, your walk with the Lord on your expectations of what God will do, as opposed to the nature and the character of who God is, right? You know, Paul says in First Corinthians thirteen, we prophesy in part because we know in part, but when we see him it'll be complete. In other words, you need to know even your expectations based on a word God gave you is still in part. When you value more your expectations of what God will do, you'll crucify the truth when it stands right in front of you because you're upholding your expectations. Yep. And that happens a lot in ministry. I mean, that's how the song shifted. They go, It goes from Hosanna to crucify him yeah. in, a, in, in one days. week. Five days. Yeah. Five days. You know, yeah. Because he wasn't what they expected. Yep. And we do that. I've done that. We're yep. like, God, this is not how... I thought you would move. I think I've spent unnecessary time frustrated because, because of, of that expectations. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and they're unrealistic. Yeah. In yeah. the name of faith, they were unrealistic. Yeah, right? and I think what, you know, in our world, in the missions world, what ends a lot of missionary callings is that. They went and they're like, we're going to do this. We're going to, like, jack up the world, you know. And then in a year, it's like I'm not seeing the results I thought that I would see. Now right. I'm frustrated. Either, God, why did you abandon me? Or maybe I heard wrong, or it's the devil. Those are the three things we go to. Yep. Um, and our thing has been like, we're going to remain faithful no matter what it looks like. And you know a lot of our story. We've had a lot of stuff that didn't look so good. Yeah. And lost everything, and you're like, but I'm going to remain faithful. Right. Yeah. You know. So, yeah, th this is, um, are, are you allowed to talk about that loss, or not really? Yeah. So this is voice of pain, right? <laughs> Welcome back to the voice of pain. So yeah, we can talk about <laughs> let's talk more about pain. <laughs> so Nick and Rachel open a house. What's the name of the house? Uh, Villa Bethany. Villa Bethany. This is the first one. Yeah. Bethany one. Yeah. Um, and what was happening there? Yeah. So we had you know two caretakers that were good friends of ours and local pastors here that came to serve us. And we found out that the man had seduced one of the girls. So the pastor. Yeah. The pastor. She was 13. He was 56. Was a 13-year-old girl was being seduced by a 56-year-old pastor. Yeah. That's correct. And you're running a, a ministry that rescued people from perversion. Yeah. Yes. And it's happening right there. Yeah. Yeah. Really I want people to understand the gravity and the reality of what you do. Yeah. What you, what you go to fight is going to come at you. Like... You know, we love the story of the rock and Goliath's head, but Goliath was charging when that happened. So, I mean, yeah. like, you need to be ready for the charge of those those giants. And in this case, you know, when the girl told us, I had to take that to the police. I had to actually also, in a sense, turn myself in. I wasn't arrested, but I'm responsible legally for all of the girls. That's how it works here. Right. So I have their guardianship. So I had to say, this happened. I didn't know about it, but I take responsibility for what happened. Side note. This was a girl that we were in the process of adopting. Dear Jesus. So like yeah. our adoptive daughter. Yeah. Um, so we lost the house. They didn't close it, you know, permanently. They suspended it and took all the girls away. It took them six hours to remove the girls because they didn't want to leave to us. To pull them off of our body while they're screaming and put them into a, a van and take them off somewhere that we wouldn't be able to tell them where they're going. And we had no idea if we would ever see them again. Oh, my God. And we spent the next seven months going to a police station every single day, asking for updates, like, are you going to arrest this guy or not? Am I going to be arrested? Like, what's going to happen? I had to sit before judges as I'm learning Portuguese. Um, I had to meet with government officials. 
And in this process, this, you know, this judge that we had in the children's court, there was a change and this new judge came in. So my first impression with her is telling her the greatest failure of my life. Cause like I was responsible regardless of knowing it or not. Like now we see so many things that we needed to have put in place that today we do. Um, and she just listened for two hours and then said, okay, you can go, we'll be in touch. And I thought it was over, like game over. And two weeks later, her assistant called and said, she's coming to meet you and she wants to talk with you. And we thought she was coming to close it. That's bad news when the judge comes to you. Yeah, yeah. And she sat down at the table and she said, listen, I've been in this a long time. I've seen abuse in churches, in homes, in schools, in shelters. But never has anyone come to me and said, honestly, this is what happened and I take full responsibility. This tells me that you're a person of integrity. I know that you didn't know you weren't involved. Wow. And I need people like you. So I want you to reopen, but I want you to double your capacity because we need you here. Wow. And it was still months before the guy was arrested, but he was. Did he do jail time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He just got out. So that was, you know, seven years ago. In one of the worst jails here in the northeast of Brazil. Yeah. Um... But still, like, you know, we tell a story and it's like, oh, it's amazing God renewed it. But it broke us, man. Yeah. It destroyed us. Yeah. It, it broke us inside the home yeah. because in the middle of while we're going to these to these court cases and, you know, we, I mean, me as a wife, I had no idea if Nick's going to go to jail. What's that mean for us? Like, you know, all of our counselors in our life and our pastors in our life were like, you guys should just come back to the States, but we couldn't because it would look like we were yeah, guilty and guilty and running. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that and, wasn't and, the best advice, guys. Sorry. No, well, <laughs> yeah. um, and back to the voice of pain. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this girl, you know, that had been seduced by the guy who we were in the process of adopting. Okay, okay. She, the, the judge had this given 13 us... 13-year-old girl. Yeah. Yes. The judge had given us guardianship over her and her younger sister at the time. However, because of the levels of brokenness that she had from past abuses and then this confusing psychological abuse, yeah. sexual abuse... Yeah. Because it's not only sexual abuse. Yeah. That happens on the streets. Yeah. This is an abuse of power. Yeah. Right. Which is honestly even more damaging because the people that you would go to feel safe with yeah. hurt you. It's yeah. like getting shot at a hospital. Yeah, right. so you can never be safe anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So in a, she had a um, psychological break and cut herself all up, and we took her to the psych ward, which here they don't really have a psych ward. They just duct tape them to a chair and give them a sedative. And give them a sedative. Um, really duct tape them? Yes. Yeah, we walked in, there was a guy duct taped to a chair. Banging his head against the wall. Because they didn't have sufficient people to keep an eye on him in the lobby. Right. So while we were sitting with the psychologist in that, you know, telling her what was happening, um, uh, this girl broke herself free after a sedative and five men barely held her down. She picked up a sharp object and ran at me to stab me. Um, this is the girl? This yeah. is the girl. Who we that you were going to adopt. That we were going to adopt. It's trying to stab you. It's trying to stab you. I want people to hear this. This yeah. is very important. Yeah. People have these fantasies. I'm going to adopt. I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to be a rock star. This is what it looks uh, like. People have no idea what they're what they're signing up for. No. Yeah. Especially when you're adopting teenagers. Yeah. You know, kids that have been through extreme pain. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So it ended, you know, the, it ended where she said she didn't want to be adopted anymore. We also said, like, we can't do this. Like, our kids weren't even sleeping in our house They anymore. weren't, no. They went to stay with Nick's brother because uh, they didn't feel safe. I entered into, like, some serious PTSD stuff. Like, mm -hmm. everybody wants to say PTSD. It actually was. Like, if you slammed, if you set a cup down on the table too hard, I'd fall in the fetal position shaking on the floor. Couldn't, couldn't get out of bed. Nice. And Nick is going to all of these Dang. meetings with judges. Man. But from all of that, like today, um, and it's interesting, man, because when we reopened, a lot of our team was like, you guys should change the name of the house because it's going to be dirtied. I'm like, no, God gave us the name. Yeah. And today, Vila Bethania, Vila Bethany is a reference not just in our state, but in Brazil for child sheltering. I mean, right. it's like, it's one of the top shelters in the country. And yes. I say that pridefully, like I say that with great humility. Um, and today we have a defense center that handles abuse cases and we have 220 cases with a team of attorneys, psychologists that 
take those families in. Like, think about this. Back then when that happened, I went every day and the police never wanted to help with anything. Nothing. I mean, it was like, they would be like, yeah, we've got a bunch of those cases. We can't help you. We'll get to it when we get to it. But now, with our defense center, as soon as there's a sexual abuse case in that same police department that I went to for seven months straight, mm -hmm. they send them immediately to us. And our team goes after sentencing and justice while our psychologists, our missionaries take care of the family, work through counseling yeah. with the children, with the families as well. Yeah. So what God I, literally what, totally redeemed. Yes, he what did. I love Everything. about what you're doing and it, it is so moving to just hear about it, is they're not just pursuing mercy, they're also pursuing justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is really, that's the heart of God. God's heart is God loves justice. Yeah. Yes. Isaiah 60, verse 1. God loves justice. And you can't have mercy without justice. You know, when this, when this happened with this man, um, the guy that you know, did that in the house, um, a number of staff, or churches, sorry, not staff, were like, oh, but there needs to be grace. Like, where's the grace? Your ministry is called Shores, Shores of, of grace, grace, and you want this guy arrested. And I was struggling with it. Like, I knew it was right, but I was struggling with that pressure. And I talked to Heidi Baker one day, and, you know, Heidi has these stories of, like, going to jail to a guy that tried to kill her and forgiving him and stuff. So I'm like, what's Heidi going to say? And Heidi's like, Nick, he needs to go to jail so this doesn't continue. But pray that God meets him in jail. Like, those yep. are not two independent things. Like, yeah. Paul was innocent. He went to jail. Yeah. Right. Send the guy to jail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so our prayer, honestly, for him, since that day, that sounds we've not had contact with him. But our prayer was, God, flood him with your goodness because it's your kindness that leads him to repentance. Yep. So we never prayed, like, kill him off, God. It was like, yeah, yeah. God, reach this guy, man. There might have been a moment. Maybe a moment. <laughs> Maybe a moment. In the beginning. But voice of pain. Yeah, voice of pain. Back to the voice of pain. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, today it's like what we see, man. It's like, again, had we given up, we wouldn't be loving what we live today. Yeah. And the now, like, the very thing we suffered from and went through, now our ministry has this honor of being, you know, a standard and a reference for what justice looks like. Yeah. Um, and, and it's and, just God. I mean. Yeah, and really set in place, like, why... Villa Bethany now is a reference is because we learned some valuable things that did not work yeah. the first time we did it. One of the things I would like to, I've been I have been communicating to uh, people that I'm in a, in a discipleship process with discipling, and I think that this is something that is really important. Nick and Rachel had the most beautiful, pure motives, but that's not enough. No. So, like, here you have this thing of, like, we'll rescue anyone, we'll do anything, we'll, we're, so you have this complete yes in your heart to Jesus. Right. Which is beautiful, and it's, it's priceless. Your motives and your intentions are completely pure and good. Mm -hmm. Yet, even on your watch, with good motives, it's not enough. Can you, can you speak to what you learned from that? Because here's, here's the thing that I think that Christians suffer from. We are the most unself-aware people. Yeah. Because we assume our motives are, are, are good, when sometimes they're not. Right. And in addition to that, even when they are right, when I assume that my motives are right, I think that I'm right. And your motives may be absolutely right. But you may be absolutely wrong about what your motives are right about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's a little complex. It is a little complex. But can you can you unpack that a little bit? Because I know you've learned, you've paid with your life with this. Like, can you can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, first of all, you should not have too high an opinion of yourself. Um, you know, it's like. We are sons and daughters of God to all who are in Christ, and, and all that's true. We're a world priesthood, all those things. But we're absolutely nothing without Him, you know. Like, I remember a time that I was crying out to God, and I'm like, God, I'm just, I'm not sufficient. Like, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. It's overwhelming me. And after, you know, 10 minutes of crying that out, there was a silence, and I just heard the Lord say, you finally get it. Yeah. You're not enough. Right. So, like, you yeah. can have the best motives. And and that's something that the, the, the culture is perpetually telling people, not only the Christian culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard mega church pastors stay up, stand up and say, you are enough, and you are not enough, and some yeah. of us are too much. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and <laughs> we were never made to be enough. Yeah. Like, you know, that whole yeah. thing of, like, there's a God-shaped yeah. hole in all of us. We were all yep. designed to need a father 
and yep. to need a God that is more than what we can be. And a family. And yeah. a family. Yeah. So I think that, you know, your motivations, actually, you should understand, right? Just kind of like what I said about the prophetic, your motivations are only in part because you cannot possibly know entirely that your motives are pure or that you're analyzing what's going on around you. Yeah. But we also need to learn to discern more than to analyze. Like, what is actually God saying to us in the spirit? Not just like what I see or what I think makes sense because I feel like we're experts at trying to figure out what God's doing. You know, so then we end up with that thing where it's like, okay, God's going to do this. And then that doesn't happen. You're like, oh, but now I can see he didn't do that. So Play that baby. this would happen. And that doesn't happen. You're like, oh, no, no, no. Now I get it. Three steps down the road. Yep. And what God really wants is just like an open heart and obedience. Right. You know, um, so I think that our motives can only be purified by the Holy Spirit, but also understanding that it does not depend only on you and not even only on God, you know, like you and I've talked about this a lot over the years, but you know, God's in control, that whole thing. Yeah. It's like, well, but it also depends on the will of the other person. Yeah. You know, um, I teach it. He's in charge, not in control. Yeah. And I totally, agree. Yeah. Yeah. he's sovereign, sovereign, no doubt, yeah. omnipotent. Yep. Um, all that. Yeah. But I think that it's understanding, like I can have the best motives and even the best plans, but still my greatest gift is my dependency on the father. And understanding, like, yes. mm -hmm. even my great plans sometimes aren't going to work. Even if God spoke them to me, they're not going to work in the way that I think that they did. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, not having too, um, too high a view of oneself and understand, like, I'm nothing without him, you know. Um, one time God said to me, you know, John five nineteen, if Jesus said the <laughs> Son can do nothing apart from the Father, why are you so arrogant to think that you could? Ouch. And it was like, put me on the floor because right. I realized I was trying in my own strength to do all of these things that actually he told yep. me to do. You know, I don't know if that answers yeah. your question. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's important. Like, I think that the, the, the culture of self-sufficiency mm -hmm. is in direct opposition with his grace being sufficient. Totally. Right. It's a it's, crop. It's, 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 it's a irre irreconcilable trend of thought and pattern of behavior yeah like we it's teach not, here we teach with our our missionaries self-care but christ-centered self-care yep so like See, yeah, that's a know. very healthy balance that's very important yeah because no one is going to take care of you that's your responsibility right right but it needs to be in yep. christ yep in christ you know yeah um and i think that the self-care models of the world that unfortunately are oftentimes in churches as well is that like you're great though you're awesome you know and and we, we say the gospel in only part because we say God accepts you just the way you are. He loves you just the way you are. True, but he also loves you too much to leave you that way. Yep. So he's going to transform you. I always tell people at our church, come as you are. Please don't say that way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's it. I mean, yeah. you know, the Christian life is a progression of sanctification. It's a progression yep. of growing. Yep. And so I think that our our understanding of who we are is so important to understand, like, I am still just a vessel. And, you know, I think it's amazing in 2 Corinthians 4 or 7 where Paul says we're jars of clay. Um, in the Greek, it's like fragile jars of clay. Like, mm -hmm. Paul didn't say of gold, of stone, you know, like concrete. It's like you're fragile. But what you yep. possess is the power of the Holy Spirit. Yep. So that the world knows it's not about you. It's mm -hmm. actually about the Holy yep. Spirit. Right. Yeah. Yep. We possess this treasure in earthen vessels. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So anything else, um, like what would, you, what would you leave someone with if, if they're saying like, I'm getting ready to step out into some unknown stuff? Yeah. Like in faith, like for the kingdom, what, what would you say to someone? Because I, I think that, I think that um, there's a lot of people who are getting ready to step in. Like I feel like if I could say this in, in a prophetic way, I think that the baton is getting ready to be passed to our generation, whether people are willing to pass the baton or not. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So that means that a lot of generals are dying, which that's what happens. We're all going to yeah. have an expiration date too. Yeah. Right. So there are people that are going to be stepping up and stepping into some new things. So what would you say to you know folks on this journey of like they're getting ready to step into something new? Yeah, first of all, um, the most important thing you will build in your life is the secret place. It's not a 
church building or a missions base or a ministry, it's your secret place with the Lord. Um, because everything you do in ministry has to flow from that place of your intimacy with the Lord, your time with the Lord, your time in the Word, your study of the Word. Like that, that needs to be number one. It sounds obvious, mm -hmm. but like we travel and spend a lot of time with pastors and leaders. And the number one thing we hear is like, I'm not even having time with the Lord because I'm so busy in ministry. So you need to establish that now before you step into ministry. Right. And the second thing is understand that God honors obedience more than sacrifice. So like the story of us moving here 13 years ago, even the story of Bethany closing, those were sacrifices. What happens with sacrifices once fire consumes them? They're right. gone. They're just ashes. So I can't every day show God a handful of ashes and be like, look what I did. God's like, but I want your obedience today. So that yes that we gave 13 years ago needs to be given every single day. Oh, yeah. So walking in that obedience and... We pick up that cross daily. Yeah, and, and it is. You know, Jesus said, you know, all who come after me will pick up their cross, deny themselves daily. This sounds so obvious, man, but I'm telling you, it's like missing in great parts of the church. Yes. Because we're looking for the big thing. We have a big calling, big this, big that. And again, God's looking for obedience in the small things. Like obedience in your time with the Lord. Obedience to loving your family well. Right. Obedience to your time of rest, which I'm not super great at, but we'll get better at it. I'm working um, on it. Yeah, this isn't the Voice of Rest podcast. We'll talk about that. <laughs> That'll be the next one. <laughs> But, I'm anointed you know, to rest and shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like judge the, me. The obedience of those things, um, that's what moves mountains. Mm -hmm. you know? so, mm -hmm. so I would tell people, like, make a priority of your time with the Lord. Mm -hmm. like, don't, don't let that become a 10-minute devotional before you run out the door. Yeah. Right. Because right. that's what will sustain you. I'll, I'll say one thing about that. If, if that is not a priority, something is seriously wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about motive? Yeah. yeah, yeah, because that like, so that so you there's a, there's a connection in my mind with discipline and passion. When you love something, you never make an excuse as to why you can't do it because you find a way to do it because you love it. Years ago, Abner Forrest told me, "You you have money for what you really want." And I thought, oh yeah, I got Robert Grahams to prove that, <laughs> and 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 that's true in the sense of the thing that you really value. David said the thing that the one thing I desire that will I seek after. So wherever there's desire, there's always discipline to follow through on that desire. I think right. what's really lost is the desire, yeah. and then it becomes a discipline, and then it's like guilty that you didn't do it, but that's already at a disadvantage yeah. because this is a passion. Yep. This is this is something like I don't you know, I don't have to talk myself into eating lunch like I'm going to eat lunch cuz yeah. I'm hungry. Yeah. And and so it's it's kind of like like when you lose that hunger and that desire I, I find that uh, temptation is more tempting. Uh, deception is more deceiving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Distraction is easier. Frustration, Frustration is, is amplified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everything, every, if you lose that place, mm -hmm. you know, you lose your position of power. That's what happened with David. Yeah. David was in a palace. He should have been on the front lines of battle. That was only the manifestation that he had lost a secret place. Yeah. 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 So if you lose and, that. And, and here's the deal. No one can impart that to you. They cannot. Like we love chasing after impartation. No one can impart secret place, your intimacy or discipline. Yeah, or history with God. It's impossible. Yeah. Like sometimes when people ask us to pray for impartation, I honestly am like, I'm not sure how I can. It's the oil and the lamp thing. Yeah. I'm not sure what, what we, you want. Yeah. Do you want crushing or pain? Right. Because <laughs> most of what we live yeah. is, is the overflow of our secret place with God and I can't give that to you. It's mine. Yeah. You know, so I think that that is so key. Like don't look for the next book on like 10 steps and how to become a this or that. Like, be disciplined in your time with the Lord. Let, let your life grow from there. Let the affections of your heart actually be focused on the Lord. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Keeping the main thing, the main, main thing. thing. Yeah. I think if, you know, for anyone that's listening that you're about to step out, you're about to get that, that baton and, and just run at things. Nick talked about, you know, having that secret place with the Lord. That is the main thing. But then loving loving your neighbor as you love yourself. 
at the end of the day, if nothing works out, if the ministry is failing, if you know you didn't see that breakthrough that you were expecting to see, at the end of the day, if you can say, I loved well, then sometimes that has to be enough. Yeah. You know, those of us that have, like, we are ready to give our life for Jesus at any moment if he asks us to do that. We, I've already planned out what I want on my tombstone. I want it to say, she loved well. It's like, everything in my life was lived to love Jesus and to love my neighbor as I love myself. Mm-hmm. And we, if we make it more complicated than that, sometimes love looks like a cup of water. Mm-hmm. It looks like a bag of groceries. Yep. Yep. Uh, you yep. know, can look like paying off a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> can look that big, yeah. but sometimes it's just yep. being there and listening to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask one final question. Um, and this could really. <laughs> This could be a hostage. Ooh, this is a, this Adam. is a, this is a, this is my final question to you guys as a couple, yeah. as a married uh, couple, as a family unit that was willing to move your life and your children to a new nation, which has implications that many people will never even begin to comprehend. How that affects your children, how that affects many things in your life. What do you say to couples who? are trying to get on the same page they're moving toward that they're not really there um but they're they're trying to readjust their life as a family as a husband and a wife with children into a christ-centered christ-shaped life where you both are all in together could you speak to that because i think that that's i think that there's young people that are married uh, that are in that place. I think there's people with family and children that are in that place. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's older people who have really become aware that what they're living for isn't it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so now there's a reordering. Mm-hmm. So how, what, what would you say to that, the, that couple or that family unit? You go first so I don't say anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think first of all for like married couples that are stepping into the ministry together, and it's so perfect that you're having the woman speak first. That's very kind. I mean, you guys take the raw end of the deal. <laughs> you know that. Yeah. 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 Um, being able to see that God pairs you with somebody that has strengths in the area that are your weaknesses and learning how to co-labor together looks like that, of like not being threatened by the giftings that Nick has and him not being threatened by the giftings that I have. So, you know, like Jesus was a lion and he was a lamb. And and if if Nick comes in like a lion in the ministry, I can come in like a lamb. If I come in like the lion and I'm prophesying and I'm in, you know, in a setting, Nick can come in like a lamb and carry the Father's heart in that. But learning like how to co-labor together. In that. Instead of work against each other. Instead yeah. of work. And, because and there's a lot of people it. with good intentions that yeah. really work against each other yeah. and right. don't even know it. Even in ministry. Right. You know, and you said the key term, Christ-centered, right? So, like, in our family, and this has been this way with our kids, it's been this way with us. Like, Christ is the center. So, we've told our kids from the time they were little, Mm -hmm. our lives do not revolve around you You. and your needs. They revolve around Jesus. Beautiful. So, you then enter into that (laughs) revolution. Yes. And it's going to be hard, but we're doing it together, and we're serving Jesus together. Together. And there's times you won't like a decision we make. Or it might make you sad, but we're going to follow the Lord. And what we've seen in that is that our kids... So your children aren't the parents? No. (laughs) And and the same in marriage. Yeah. You know, there's times where, like, and in that, seek good counsel of people who have more experience than you. Yep. So, like, even when we can't get on that same page, we're going to go and talk to somebody who can help us communicate to each other. Right. But still keeping Christ in the center. Because in our case, a lot of times our disagreements are like, I feel the Lord is saying this. I feel the Lord saying this. So kind of Christ-centered because we're both seeking the Lord, but we're not hearing the same thing. Yeah. So being able to then seek good counsel and come to a place of like at least understanding. How long have you been married? 22 years. Be 23 this year. They're married 22 years. Now, Nick and Rachel, I have to say this. Yes. They're about to become grandparents. Yes. Okay. But this is the beauty of this. They're still young, you know, yep. looking young. But after 22 years of marriage... 
46 years of pain in ministry. (laughs) (laughs) You still let people into your marriage to speak into your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, my, yeah. yeah. Oh, I just saw I, I just saw that people should hear that. Yes. Because most people do not have a voice that they're letting into their life in a deep place. Yeah. It's all surface yeah. until right. you talk about reality. Yeah. Right. C- couples look for older couples that have lived life together, that have gone through experiences together and had to really overcome and pick the brains. Start to ask them questions. Let them mentor you. Let them teach you the things that we don't have to fall into in our generation. Yeah, do some good Christ-centered couple therapy to avoid needing couples therapy. Like that's, <laughs> that's kind of the key. That like, sounds good. Seek yeah. counsel before you're at a point of like, wow, we really need some therapy. Seek counsel before you need therapy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? um, I mean, we just, just in the last few months, we've had several calls with a dear you know, uh, couple friend of ours from Texas when we, in these cases, it was more like not totally sure what to do in the ministry or with family situations and calling them and saying, our hearts are an open book. We don't know what to do. Like, tell us what you think. And having people that are going to pray into that with you, but give you advice from their own life experience, super essential. Like, we would not have survived without that. No. So humility leads to longevity. Sure does. Yes, it does. Excellent. Listen, I, I want to say thank you so much for being uh, with us today. We love you. We, we love honor you. you guys. We, we honor the sacrifices you. you made. And Sarah. We love you. Sarah. Yes, Sarah is definitely the brains of the operation. Um, <laughs> but I want to just invite those who are listening to visit their website, shoresofgrace.com. These are people uh, that are amazing, doing a incredible work, and I definitely encourage you to sow into them. Uh, to give to their ministry, to partner with them. Anything they're doing is real and pure. And so, uh, again, you can go to shoresofgrace.com to see more about what they're doing. And for us, God willing, we're going to be bringing an all-women's team to them in 2024. Sarah's going to lead that, and that'll be a really good time. So thanks for listening today. Voice of Pain out. Voice of Pain out. Adam Levecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.